Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining PIs Declassified today. Before we get started, I just want to say uh, that our hearts and prayers go out to the folks that have been caught up in the Northern California fire. Uh, even though I'm not, I'm I'm miles away from the fire. Uh, we're we're having air quality and and ash, and I can't even imagine what it's like to be closer. It um, it's it's just a disaster, and I just hope everybody. Everybody in the PI world comes out okay on this. But today, let's move on to a more interesting topic uh, rather than disasters. Uh, I have with my my guest today is Stephanie Savoy. Stephanie Savoy is from Connecticut, and she's joining us today to talk about the special kind of business that she does as a private investigator. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Francie. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is fun. Uh, so, I understand that you and your husband are in business together. Let's talk about that for a minute because that's fun. It, it is. Most days it is fun. You know, hopefully most it days. continues to be that way. <laughs> yeah, I love the most days part. <laughs> that's exactly it. Most days it is fun. Yeah. So, um, but you're both not private investigators. No, my husband is actually a practicing licensed attorney here in Connecticut. Uh, he was in law enforcement for a number of years, retired, uh, and now is a practicing attorney. Did the two of you meet in law enforcement? Uh, no, well, sort of. He was, uh, you know, working here in our local police department, and I was working in our mayor's office, so our paths crossed often. Met that way, started dating, and 12 years later, here we are. Wow, that's cool. It is, it is. So you're a licensed private investigator. Yes. How did you get started? Well, I, my first job was as a reporter for our local paper uh, when I was in high school, actually, and worked that job through high school and college. In college, studied criminal justice and political science, uh, got involved really heavily in local and statewide campaigns, you know, doing everything from, you know, lit drops and mailings and then opposition research. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a few years, a local PI firm uh, in Connecticut here was looking to bring someone on just to do opposition research. They wanted to start that new specialty offering to clients. Mm-hmm. I met with the owner. Him and I really hit it off. He hired me uh, as a full investigator, You know, not just doing opposition research, but working all kinds of cases. Worked for him for a number of years on all kinds of cases. And about a year and a half ago, you know, had the conversation with my husband that I thought it was time to venture out on our own, and uh, the rest is history. Wow, that's great. So uh, I, I suspect the opposition research skills has helped you tremendously. Well, that's it. You know, between the skills I learned as a reporter, you know, being able just to talk to people and approach people and get people to talk to you, and then, you know, working 
on campaigns with opposition research, learning how to really look for things that are hidden and things that are not easy to find and kind of putting together pieces of the puzzle. You know, once I started working for the PI firm, I learned that all of those skills, you know, really helped me, you know, serve our clients. Mm-hmm. And do you still do that kind of work? I don't know. I left politics behind many years oh. ago. <laughs> well, it's hard to <laughs> kind of hard to leave politics behind these days. <laughs> That's it. It's, it is hard to run away from, you know, it's, it's, they keep trying to pull you back in, but... <laughs> I'm sure. Do you get calls from people that want you to do that work? I do occasionally. Um, uh-huh. You know, and I do help out. I can't say I completely got away. I do help out locally um, with friends that run for office and things like that. But it's not something that I do paid uh, yeah. anymore. Okay. All right. So, okay. So you and your husband got together. And then how did you end up sharing a business? Well, when I was working for the, PI, the other PI firm, um, you know, I would come home, tell him stories. You know, he, at that point, was no longer in law enforcement. He was a practicing attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we kind of talked it over and realized that this was an opportunity really for both of us. You know, this could be our future. Uh, you know, him and his legal career and his path and his network of people that he knew and, you know, my skills and abilities and the clients that I had already developed, they really just meshed well together. So it's something we decided to venture into together, you know, on a daily basis. You know, I'm the one working in the trenches, so to speak. Right. But when there comes a time that I need someone to have my back or someone, you know, the extra set of hands or eyes, you know, there's no one better than your husband to have filled that role. Well, there's nothing like having built-in attorney-client privilege. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) That does help as well. <laughs> so, what kind of law does he practice? Uh, he practices mostly labor and probate. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, so I can see where you might do uh, an undue influence case and a probate, perhaps. Yeah, the probate stuff actually is a lot of locating individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, people that were named and you know can't be found. Uh, people that, you know, had stuff in place as guardians and now you need to find them years later to absolve whatever it is. That right. tends to be a lot of the work we're doing uh, in probate matters. And then on um, labor, what kind of investigations would you do on that? With the labor, you know, there tends to be a lot of the workers' comp investigations. Sometimes it's, you know, workplace injuries trying to, you know, establish how severe the injury actually is compared to what's being claimed. Um, you know, but the primary stuff we do is not so much with my husband and his specialties. You know, we work with a really great network of attorneys that we've developed, uh, mm-hmm. you know, locating witnesses in motor vehicle accidents, canvassing neighborhoods, going in civil cases, trying to track down, you know, witnesses for attorneys for cases coming up for trial, helping, you know, develop those as they progress, you know, and then the criminal investigations as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, um, most of your clients are private or, well, no, you said you've worked for a network of attorneys. So um, most of your, attorney, your clients would be attorneys first and then the client of the attorney or private clients too? The majority of our clients, I would say probably 70% at this point, are either attorney direct or through the attorney, their client directly to us. Mm-hmm. 30% maybe would be the civilian calling 
you know, from Google or from whatever search engine where they're finding us, calling us directly. But the majority of our work is for either attorneys or their clients on behalf of them. So you mentioned Google. Uh, do you get a lot of business from your website? We do. We get a ton of business from, really, you know, yeah, from the various search engines. We have a great, great uh, SEO guy through Investigator Marketing. He does a phenomenal job um, ranking us and keeping us up there. Probably everybody knows what SEO is, but why don't you, just for people that don't, why don't you say what that is? So it's search engine optimization. You know, it's working with the various search engines, Google, Bing, Yahoo, and their algorithms to place your website as high ranking as you can in the search results. So that Mm -hmm. when someone is searching for, in my case, it would be private investigator in Connecticut or near me, you know, my website is one of the first to pop up for them. You know, and while you can do it on your own, if you know what you're doing, it's really something in today's day and age that, you know, you should, if not hire someone to do for you, really learn it yourself before you try and just throw up a website. So I'm really curious, Stephanie, I see a lot of uh, websites, particularly private investigators who have a contact form to fill out on their website. Do you do that too? Yes, we have a contact form. Okay, and how how effective is that versus them calling you directly? You know, it, occasionally we get the contact form where it comes in through an email to us uh, as a new case submission, and it's a person saying, hey, you know, what are your fees for surveillance, or how much would you charge me to do X? We always turn that submission into a phone call. We don't really get into cases or dollar amounts over email. You know, I really mm-hmm. try and get the person on the phone and get into the specifics of what they're looking for. You know, and that's so that I can, one, find out what their case is, and two, give them as accurate a quote as possible, you know, rather right. than just going back and forth via email. Right. Yeah, I understand. And so I'm interested in that because I, I don't have that on my website, and I might uh, put that put that up there, but I was just wondering how effective it was and if people really used it. They do use it occasionally. I would say we get more phone calls from the website than we do uh-huh. form submissions, but every once in a while, you know, there is the person that, you know, maybe they're nervous to pick up the phone and call you. You know, they're taking that first step sometimes for people um, right. is a little nerve-wracking. So them just being able to reach out that way, I think, helps ease the transition into speaking to us. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of feels anonymous. You're not really talking to anybody. Yep. I can, yep, and they can, I can do it at their that. pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, so um, you, the reason I contacted you to be on the show, Stephanie, is you have <laughs> <laughs> these cases periodically, and I, we all do, but you have a name for them. Yes, right? the case creeps. And what are they called? They're called case creeps. Okay, I love that. So, uh, and it's almost Halloween, so it's perfect. Uh, what is a case creep? So it's our play on the term mission creep, you know, which you hear in business when, you know, your one project turns into 10 projects. Mm-hmm. So in our reference, a case creep is when you're hired for one thing and before you know it, the client's expecting 10 other things out of you, a completely different thing. It's where your main objective changes throughout the course of the investigation. And is that by design of the client, typically, or is that just because things transition that way? Well, it it goes both ways. You know, the one that you're referencing, 
is an instance where, you know, the client deceived us. The client came up with a story to hire us. And really, it was just a ruse to get information. And we realized that and, you know, handled it. But there's other times where, you know, people don't always know what they want when they come to an investigator. You know, they know ideally what they'd like to find out, but don't necessarily know how to get there. Right. So as the investigation unfolds and as we provide more information to them, they may want more answers based on what we're telling them. So it's not always malicious on their part. You know, it's based on what we're giving to them. Right, I can see that happening in many instances because you don't know what you don't know, essentially, until well, you it. start you know, gathering. Yeah. That's gathering it. One time, you know, where it was not malicious whatsoever, we were hired to prove cohabitation. You know, mm-hmm. one spouse was responsible for alimony that would have stopped upon cohabitation. So we went, did surveillance, realized, yes, there was cohabitation, mm-hmm. but also realized that there was young children involved. You know, during our surveillance, we realized that these young children were being left home alone overnight. Mm-hmm. So the case changed, you know, from just proving cohabitation to us calling the client and saying, hey, yes, we're able to prove this, but we've also discovered there may be some issues with the custody here because your children are being left alone, and it turned also into a child custody investigation. And that's okay. Now, In that this- case... In in this case, did they have an attorney, or did they have to get an attorney after you came back with the information? Well, that's it. They went and got an attorney after we came back to them with the information. Yeah. yeah. You know, that and would we be- just had them come back in and, you know, fill out a new contract with us to include, you know, the child custody investigation, and we got right back to work. Okay, you mentioned contracts. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, do you have contracts with every client? We do, yes. We have every client fill out a contract uh, for each case. Okay. And uh, how specific are those contracts? They're very specific. You know, each time we're hired for a case, we meet with the client and go over the objectives and what we plan to do. Uh, In the contract, we write out specifically what we're being hired for, you know, what we're trying to obtain, what we're trying to prove. In it, it goes over our budget, our hourly rate. It goes over permissible uses of the information once we give it back to them. It goes over, you know, payment schedules of when payments are due. Um, You know, and it really protects both us and the client, I believe. And when you talk about permissible use, how are you defining that? Well, the best example I give, and I say this to almost every client that we uh, bring on, is, you know, if you're asking me to prove cohabitation and I tell you, yes, the person spends Monday through Friday night there at this house, take it to your attorney, take it to court with you, take it to help you prove your alimony, whatever it is. But if Mm -hmm. you take that information and go to do something to that person while they're at that place, it holds us harmless and it holds you accountable because you, you know, by signing this contract, acknowledge that the information we're providing is only for legal use. Okay, so that brings me to another question. Um, okay. <laughs> how, how, um, so you don't always meet with your clients in person, right? Uh, if not in person, sometimes, you know, obviously distance comes into play. We'll do it, you know, via email. I will email a PDF of the contract. Okay, and how do you prove the persons who they say they are? The person hiring us, you mean? Uh-huh. 
So if we're not in person, if it's over the phone or over email, you know, they'll send in a copy of their license back to me with the contract to verify their identity. Okay, their driver's license. Yes, yes. Their driver's license? What kind of license? A driver's license if for some reason I haven't had it happen yet where the person didn't have a driver's license, but I would ask for some form of picture ID in that case. Right, okay. You know, and then, okay, good. Yeah, depending on the type of investigation, you know, if it's something to do, you know, a domestic investigation, oftentimes we'll ask for, you know, to look at the divorce agreement, to look at, you know, what it says and what they're alleging just so that we can provide the best results for the client. Well, and what you bring up is a really good point because, as we know, there have been people that uh, have used private investigators to get information for very detrimental uses. Mm-hmm. And so the the fact that you're having them establish your, their ID and you know where they are if something happens is yes. critical, I think. Oh, absolutely. And believe me, we've been contacted plenty of times, you know, from people and it's turned out that there's been restraining orders. You know, luckily we've detected it early on before we've provided any work to them or answers to them. But mm-hmm. it's something that I always think about, and it's something I always evaluate, especially in domestic issues. You know, is there right. a reason why this person can't go near this individual? Is there some sort of order there? Is there anything that would make me uncomfortable in providing answers or evidence to that party? You know, and if it's something and that's questionable, you... yeah. I, I just won't take and it. Is that based on gut, or so how, what are you going on? So sometimes it's gut. You know, there was a time where a woman called, uh, wanted to hire us, and, you know, some sort of domestic issue where she wanted surveillance of the other former spouse. And then just in talking to her and asking questions like we normally do, you know, she said something to the effect of, I had asked if she had ever seen any cars there. If so, what kind of cars have you seen? Just to know what to look for. Mm -hmm. And she responded with, well, she wasn't allowed on that street. That's a, <laughs> That's a pretty clue. big red flag. <laughs> you know, so we declined that said, case right then. <laughs> what was your next uh, comment to her? <laughs> well, the, right after she said that, I said, well, you know, if you're not allowed on the street, then I'm not really sure that we should be helping you. You know, something to that degree. You know, you might want to just contact an attorney mm-hmm. uh, and wish her well. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of it. That was the end of it. That Yes, that was the end of that one. Okay. Because, you know, I mean, what people don't often think of about us or even within our own ranks as private investigators is a lot of private investigation is about ethics. And, oh, yes. And moral compass. Yeah, absolutely. You know, besides just, you know, keeping my license and keeping my reputation – I have to be able to lay my head on my pillow at night and feel good about what I've done. Yep. You know, that's something that's just really important to me as a professional. You know, yes, my license is incredibly important and my reputation is as well. But, you know, living with what I do is just Mm -hmm. as important. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and so let's talk about the case that I called you about, which is, uh, I think, a really classic example this woman called you to do a specific kind of work. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So we were contacted, um, you know, by this woman and, you know, gave us a pretty solid story. Told us that, you know, she was afraid an ex-partner 
was trying to set her up either for, for a theft charge or if not some sort of criminal theft charge. You know, she was concerned about a civil case down the road and she painted a really strong picture of this individual, just a really dark picture of who this person was and what kind of retaliatory measures he would be willing to take, um, you know, and asked us, you know, to help ease her mind, to find out if, in fact, he was up to no good and trying to, uh, you know, pin something on her or set her up for something down the road. And, and how, what kind of uh, situation was it that he could set her up on? He was, he had some upcoming court appearances of his own for issues. Uh-huh. So she was concerned that in those appearances, he would stand before the courts and make allegations about her. And did she, did she work for him or what was the relationship? No, it was a personal relationship. They had been in a uh, relationship for three or four years, the last two living together. And things quickly fell apart by her story you know, due to substance abuse and other issues. So you, know, you was, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, that's okay. She was worried, you know, ultimately that he would accuse her of stealing or mishandling his funds. Okay, so what happened then? So we agreed to it. You know, everything sounded plausible. Certain things checked out through the normal course of what we do. We went to a couple court appearances. Everything went smoothly. There was no red flags, no issues. We felt good about the whole, you know, situation. Went back to the client. We thought happily saying, hey, you're okay. It's all set. Nothing to worry about. Have a great life. Uh huh. Couple days later, she calls us again and says, you know, listen, wondering if I can hire you again. And kind of confused. I said, you know, well, what's going on? What, what happens between Monday and Thursday or whatever it was? Right. And she's like, well, I know that this coming weekend he'll be at, you know, this park at this event with his new girlfriend. And I'd like to hire you to do surveillance to listen and see what they say about me. So she wanted you to spy. Yeah, spy, eavesdrop, and then just report back what they were saying about her. Caught me a little off guard because I wasn't anticipating that request, obviously. So I asked her a few more questions about it and what she was worried about, and then quickly her backstory completely unraveled. Quickly, he was no longer this dangerous person, and really us going to court, it was to find out if the new girlfriend was there and to find out all these other things. So her hiring us for fear of these charges was simply a ruse to find out how deep into this new relationship he was and if he still talked about her in some sort of loving way. And what did, how did you handle that? That's a kind of a sticky situation yeah. to get out of well, it. You know, how did you handle it? Like every case, we kind of looked at it and, you know, is it legal? Yes, it would have been legal to provide surveillance in a public place with no expectation of privacy and not using anything to aid in, you know, listening. But mm-hmm. would it have been ethical? Would it have been moral right for me to go and do these things? And what was the use of this information after the fact? What would she have been able to do legally with this information? You know, so after kind of looking at it, I decided again, totally based on my own 
moral compass, for lack of a better term, that I just wasn't comfortable with this case in this mm-hmm. situation that she was requesting. You know, so I and just explained to her, you know, we understand heartbreak, we understand hard feelings, but, you know, we just weren't comfortable providing that service. You know, you're right, and unfortunately, somebody will, which is always a sad thing. That's um, exactly it. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, and those sticky situations come up a lot, particularly when somebody calls to locate another individual. Um, you never, you know, actually, when I think about it, um, they're usually suspicious. Unless it's a birth child or a birth mm-hmm. parent, um, the rest of them are usually suspicious. Yeah, that's it. You know, we've been pretty fortunate where the people that have called us looking to find someone, looking to, you know, find out information about someone, they've always, for the most part, been pretty much up front where we know, listen, we just can't do this. You know, a woman called once, um, said, listen, my husband's cheating. And I said, oh, okay, well, you know, we do that, so how can I help you? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I don't really need your help. I know who she is, and I know where she lives. I just want you to find out where she works so that I can go confront her at her job. Oh, great. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> Yeah. Other times it's, you know, I want to find out what my ex-boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife is up to. You know, they're that upfront because, you know, possibly their perception of what private investigators do or will do is just off. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is exactly right. They think they think that we'll do anything for money. And right. that includes spying, putting cameras in people's houses and yep. all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> Yep, breaking into homes, they've all been requested. Yeah, I know, it, it is just amazing. Uh, and I, you know, unfortunately, there, there are probably people that out there that will do that for a dollar. Um, oh, for sure. You know, our profession is like so many others. There are a ton of great investigators in our profession, and there are a few bad ones. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that goes along with any other profession, you know, in this world. Right. You know, yeah, but it's, no, it's not just us, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It, unfortunately, when it, somebody in our profession uh, does something like that, it affects all of us, where it doesn't seem to spill over when in doctors and attorneys do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And but I when think it's a lot a of it private is, investigator, you know, it goes across the country, and all private investigators are bad. Well, that's it. I think our profession is, you know, a flashy profession to a lot of people. You know, they see the movies and the TV and... They think we're all Magnum P.I. driving Ferraris. So if something happens, it's front page news. You don't have a Ferrari? Well, I don't take it out usually in the fall in Connecticut. I save it for the summer. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I love it. I know. It's the perception, and no matter how hard we try to correct that myth every day and every time there's a publication or every time there's a conversation about it with a potential client or a neighbor, it's always the same thing, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, the questions are always, do you carry a gun and do you follow <laughs> cheating spouses? That's it. Do you hide in bushes? You are you in question? dark alleys? You know? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take a break, Stephanie. This is really fun talking to you. We'll be right back, folks, with uh, Stephanie Savoy. Thank you. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm here with Stephanie Savoy. She's the managing partner and lead investigator at Savoy and Associates, private investigator from Connecticut, and her husband is an attorney, and they share a business together, which I think is just uh, really a spectacular uh, association. Uh, thanks for being on this show, Stephanie. Um, so you were just telling me offline about a situation with, that uh, you had with another attorney firm. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so we you know, were approached. It was a partnership situation, one had a little more majority stake in the company than the other, um, and that person believed their partner was violating the contract, that, you know, possibly moonlighting with another firm, not necessarily working as many hours as you would think a partnered position would be working, a whole host of issues. You know, this client of ours wanted us to put together evidence that he could bring forward uh, to terminate the partnership. So went through our usual checklist and agreed to it, got into it a little bit, and the questions and requests started coming, you know, could we also do this or could we, you know, try to find out, you know, how early or how late he's getting home. Well, some more red flags came up and they asked if we could help prove any kind of matrimonial discord if, you know, the person was seeing someone on the side and I quickly went back to the client and said, well, how is that going to help you yeah, terminate the partnership? <laughs> right. right. How is this going to help your goal here? Well, you know, the response was, I just want to have it on him to use. Well, we mm-hmm. severed that relationship as well. So the objective was that they wanted to blackmail the person? That's what it sounded like by the end. You know, in the beginning, I think that the person really did want a file built up to use to terminate the partnership. 
but as things went on, I'm not sure what happened between them. You know, they wanted something to be able to use as blackmail, to be able to use to the person and say, leave or else, in case the person fought the termination in some way. I think he wanted the ace in his pocket to be able to pull out and use. You know, and that's, again, just something that we weren't comfortable providing. Doesn't you know, it sound swear, like there was like a I was personal you, relation? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was, like I was telling you, I swear these cases only come up once in a while. But it's the ones you happen to remember, you know? They're the ones you remember, absolutely. You don't remember the ones that are just normal, everyday uh, cases. That's but, it. I've got um, 10 on my desk that are just run-of-the-mill, but these are the ones that just stick out to you. Well, and these are the ones that really, um, I guess I, I have to say our ethics are challenged because we always have a conflict between wanting to you know, further a business and make money and, and do work for a client. And then we have, all of a sudden, this gets dropped on our lap and we're kind of going, oh, wait a minute, this may not work. Yeah, that's it. You know, ultimately, I'm a small business owner. I'm a small mm-hmm. business owner who's trying to, you know, provide for my family and build a business that we can be proud of. In doing that, though, I also need to evaluate how I'm building this business. Right. And if it's by simply taking every case that comes through my door, I won't be in business for long. You know, I'm trying to build something that has a good reputation that people know they can turn to, attorneys know they can turn to and get a quality product, you know, Absolutely. by someone who has standards. Absolutely. And and that somehow gets lost with some people and even with uh, the public that considers our profession. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think people don't realize the difference sometimes between movie and television portrayal of private investigators mm-hmm. and what we actually do. And then the other issue I've seen come across is, you know, when people call asking for a quote for a service or whatever it is, they're shocked that it's not a $10 an hour service. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they can get it on the internet for $10. Why, why can't you get it for them? What's well, wrong with that? Exactly That's exactly it. You know, they can pay $10 to the online whatever it is and get a substandard result. And you have to kind of educate and explain that we're more aligned with the legal service than we are with the, you know, dollar store. And, you know, and the other factor, frankly, is anything we do, like just like you said, we're more aligned with legal. Anything we do has a legal component and it may end up in court. And so if you're not doing it, by the numbers, crossing the T's and dotting the I's and doing it above board, you get in court, then not only are, is the client in trouble, but you're in trouble as well. That's it exactly. That's it exactly. Everything we do has, you know, for the most part, serious ramifications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people don't call us because they are having a day, <laughs> typically. <Yeah. laughs> they call us to solve their problem. And, uh, and, their problem may be a problem for us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or their perceived problem, I guess. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, most of the time, the civilians that end up coming to us, you know, it's in their darkest hour. It's they're going through something that they never imagined they would be going through, and they're turning to you for help. You know, mm-hmm. and in that, you have to be the one sometimes to guide them and to help get them to the end. You know, I, you're probably, um, I know you've, you haven't been in business that long, Stephanie, but 
I got to the point in my business where I decided to specialize. And, and before that, I thought, well, you know, I should, why can't I be a generalist? But I found that it's really, it feels good to be able to say, you know, I'm sorry, I don't do that kind of work. Let me, uh, I can give you some names of people you can contact that do. If that feels really good because it, it clears my mind for what I can actually accomplish that I know what I'm doing rather than taking everything that comes in the door. And everybody does that, you know, the first few years. But I'm wondering if you'll get to that point as well. Yeah, no, I actually, you know, like you said, when you're first open and you're first building, you take whatever you can take to help, you know, build your business. And I was doing that. We've actually started turning away uh, certain types of cases. Most workers' comp cases, I'll refer out to someone else uh-huh. simply because they eat up a lot of hours that I just don't have to provide to it right now. I just don't have the hours to devote to that when I'm so busy with other cases. You know, I right. mentioned earlier, we do a lot of legal investigations for these attorneys. It's something I really enjoy doing. It's something I think that we are pretty good at. Eventually, I would like to specialize specifically in that. But while uh-huh. we're still building, you know, we have to keep the lights on and keep the kids fed. Yeah, I hate but when we're that already happens. starting to refer <laughs> out some cases that simply will take too many hours. I have to be smarter about how I'm accepting cases already, which is a blessing. Uh huh. And what kind of what kind of direction do you think you'll be going into? I think we'll be specializing again if all goes well. Um, in legal investigations, in pre-litigation support for attorneys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so your husband, when he does uh, the labor uh, workers' comp and that kind of, those kind of cases, is he for the plaintiff or the uh, defense? He's been on both sides. Has he? He's okay. been on both sides of it. He's represented, you know, labor unions in certain actions, uh, but he's also represented the worker, you know, the employee uh, against their companies when needed as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because some. I, the reason I ask is because some uh, some attorneys feel very strongly that they can only work on the one side or the other. You know, never the yeah, train shall meet. <laughs> yeah. No. When he, you know, he like I mentioned earlier, he was in law enforcement uh, for twenty years. In law enforcement, you know, he became an attorney towards the end of his career and at mm-hmm. first, you know, had to think twice about taking criminal defense. It's hard to go from putting them away <laughs> for so many years right. to then working to just get them all out. And he would really spend time looking at each case before he accepted it. You know, he wouldn't accept people who were accused of certain crimes because it was just ingrained to him mm-hmm. that that was wrong, depending on what it was. Like. Like child molestation, for example. Exactly. You know, child molestation cases, anyone accused of any kind of child abuse, child harm, that was just an absolute strict no for him mm-hmm. as far as representing those individuals. Yeah. Yeah. I can see, I can certainly see that. Uh, law enforcement folks often have a an issue. Actually, until they see a case, even if it's a child molestation case, it's egregious, and, and clearly the person is has been... Uh, accused of something they, that's questionable. Sure, and those do happen, absolutely, where it's a false accusation or whatever it is. Um, you know, but as a whole, the topic itself, you know, right. someone with a background in law enforcement, there's strong opinions, rightfully so. 
even when they've <laughs> they had to stay in, indoor, you know? <laughs> they do have strong opinions. That's true. <laughs> All right. So um, give me a, uh, another kind of case that you've, uh, that you've found interesting for your firm. You know, there's been a wide variety of cases that we've worked, and it's always the ones where other things turn up, where it does end up case creeping, so to speak, not from any malicious intent, but just from what you're able to uncover. It's like peeling back an onion. You're looking for Mm -hmm. one thing, and five others pop up along the way. You know, it's the excitement of it that keeps you going. You know, there's been times where, you know, one case we were hired, um, one parent wanted to, you know, go after the other for child support. And the person had claimed for some time that he couldn't work or was out of work. Our client firmly believed that he was working under the table, so asked us to help prove whatever it was. The reason they thought that is that when the child was there for visitation, would say, oh, I had to sit in this restaurant for hours while, you know, daddy served food or tended drinks, like he was taking the child to work with him. Oh, uh uh-huh. But it was a young child. It was four or five years old, I forget. Um, so, you know, they hired us, and we did some surveillance. And like we do with most cases, we, you know, looked at kind of the divorce agreement and what it said and what was allowed and the custodial stuff. Part of it, the person was not allowed to leave that child in the care of anyone else without first offering it to um, the mother. Mm-hmm. And that person was not to go out of state with the child under any circumstance. Okay. Doing our surveillance, doing our work, person gets in the car, becomes mobile. We follow, and next thing you know, we're heading into New York. You know, we're not Mm. too far from New York. We're probably under an hour's drive from New York. Okay. So we had to get the client on the phone right away and say, hey, you know, just so you know, this is happening. So this quickly went from being just a simple child support investigation, work verification to a child custody investigation. And, you know, as diligent as we are in outlining what the goals of the investigation are, it happens. You know, the case changes based on what we find and what we uncover. So in this case, uh, why was he going to New York? He had a lot of friends in Queens. I think he had lived there at one point. Um, Turns out, I believe he was seeing a girl down there, so uh-huh. ran down there real quick to see her for a little while. Didn't spend more than two hours in Queens in this apartment, turned around, came back, and it did turn out that they were in a casual relationship, so he would run down there every other night, it almost turned out to, and then come back. Huh. And uh, so, the distance from Connecticut to New York is what? From where we are, it's about an hour, but from where he was, which was in the Danbury area, less than a half an hour. Okay. All right. And so are, so what do you do? I, are you licensed in New York? No, we're licensed in Connecticut, but given that the case originated in Connecticut, we were able to continue with our surveillance. Oh, does Connecticut have reciprocity with New York? Just the way, if the case it is established, we're able to, yes. Okay. Yeah, because in some some situations you can't go, you can't cross the state line if you're not licensed in that state. So, yeah, in this circumstance, given that it initiated here, we were able to continue on. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. So, 
So when you, did you actually see him at the this other person's house? Yeah, we were able to get picture and video of them going in, you know, obviously with the and timestamp and then the same with them coming out and then got it back to the client. And they were able to modify the uh, custody orders to have it be supervised for some time. And then I believe it went back to regular visitation without issue. And what what was the story about the kids sitting in a restaurant? Was was that ever proven in some way? Yeah, we were able to actually get footage of this person taking their child to work with them. And given the child huh. was so young, I think the person didn't think twice about it. But as right. anyone who's been around kids will tell you, they remember and say everything. <laughs> they so. certainly do. <laughs> You know, he would go home and the mother would say, oh, what'd you do this weekend with daddy? And, oh, we sat in the restaurant all night. Yeah. Well, that quickly led to her hiring us. Yeah, interesting. Just unbelievable. And, and you know, the reality is he probably didn't think much about doing that. No. You know, when, you th- when you, I can see how a guy would say, I've got my child with me. I'm watching, I'm watching out after them. I'm, you know, I'm covering yeah, both pieces. That's it. In his mind, he wasn't leaving the child home alone, so that was good. Right. You know, he was, you know, taking care of his responsibility by taking the child with him and wasn't leaving the child with someone else. So I think in his mind, he was fulfilling the orders for the most part up until the point that he took the child out of state. Well, and even then, I can see how you could, you know, it's not that far. No. Um, that, you know, you're not spending the night. You're just, you're just yeah. popping in, saying hello, <laughs> spending a couple hours and going home. I, you know, yeah. I can rationalize that away. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, so when you run into gathering information like that um, and giving it back to the client, do you ever feel like the person would be at risk in some way? There's been times where we've been concerned with the welfare, particularly when children are involved. Mm-hmm. You know, when children are involved, there's been times where we've had to look at it and decide, well, do we step in immediately and notify the client who's hired us that there's an issue? Or is it okay enough for us to just simply sit back, observe, gather whatever evidence we can, and then give it to the person down the road? You know, in those cases, most of the time it's been okay enough for us to simply gather and then provide the information to the person after the fact. Right. You know, I, I always wonder, um, I mean, I, I do criminal defense. It's a little bit different. But uh, we are so um, careful about giving information to uh, people if we're concerned about what they're going to do with it. And yeah, I don't think attorneys have that same concern because it seems like attorneys handle, handle everything. Yep. to the client. So, and you never, you actually never hear of something happening that's detrimental, uh, actually, from from doing that. And yet, there has been several cases where we have handed over information as private investigators, where actually somebody's been killed because of it. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's one of my greatest fears. You know, and that's yeah. why we spend the time and really try our best to evaluate each case. Yep. You know, my greatest fear is that I provide information to someone and harm comes to someone else because of something that I did, some action that I took. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and the fact, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, that's why, 
you know, it's that constant battle of building a business and establishing yourself and turning business away. It's almost the angel and devil debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I think you're, um, what you guys do with getting their some kind of a government photo ID is excellent because I, you know, if something happens, law enforcement, I mean, say for, if somebody gets hurt for, or mm-hmm. killed or something, so law enforcement is going to come track that down and they'll probably come back to you. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. There was a close call once in my career where there was a domestic investigation. I think it was a cohabitation. It was a few years ago now. Some sort of cohabitation. The husband needed to prove the wife was living with the new boyfriend, partner, whatever it was, and we proved it. She was, mm-hmm. without a doubt, living full-time there. They were sharing vehicles for all purposes, living together in pure bliss. Provided all the evidence back to the client so that he can go to court and amend his orders to pay alimony. Mm-hmm. He did. Uh, he was not successful as much as he wanted to be. You know, he didn't get it reduced as much because, you know, for whatever reason. Shortly thereafter, um, there was a shooting on that street of the cohabitated home. Mm-hmm. And it was within a couple houses. And when I heard it breaking, I recognized the street name right away and I recognized the numbers right away. And my heart sank. My mm-hmm. heart absolutely sank thinking it was that house. Right. Thank God it wasn't. It turned out to be an entirely different um, home and issue. But for that brief period, you know, it was pure panic and pure dread that I had somehow been a part of that. Yeah, and, and you know, it used to be uh, years ago when I started out in this business, if somebody called us to locate somebody, you know, we did it. We just did it. We mm-hmm. might even give, give them the social security number, the date of birth, <laughs> their address, you know, anything we know about them, and now we wouldn't do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, no, you can't. And I've turned people down and they've said, well, why not? I can go online and pay the $10 and get the information. You know, and you have to explain to them why you can't and what the difference is between that mm-hmm. $10 result and my result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those $10 results, that the, the Internet access is one of my huge pet peeves that drives me crazy because there is no vetting of the person. You don't know who you're, who you're giving the information to or how it's going to be used, uh, and it's very scary. Yeah, it really is. It really is. You know, as opposed to what, what we have, we have access to proprietary databases, but we have to be vetted. I mean, we jump through a lot of hoops to get that information, and they know who we are. And if anything happens, you know, they'll be right on our doorstep. Yeah, I mean, you know, they come out, as you know, and they visit your location. They inspect mm-hmm. you. They make sure that you have the shredder and all the locks that you need. Right. So right. that we can have And that you actually have a license. Right, and, uh, right. Yeah. Just so we can have access to this information. Yet anyone can go online, pay a few dollars, and get quite a bit of information. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Stephanie, this has been delightful talking to you. Um, why don't you give your, your website and how people can reach you if they have questions? Yes, well, first, thank you so much for having me on. It has truly been an honor speaking with you. Oh, well, thank you so much. 
My website is www.savoyinvestigations.com. You can find us on Facebook at Savoy Investigations. You can reach us uh, by telephone, 203-632-8557, or via email, Savoy at SavoyInvestigations.com. And, and Savoy spelled S-A-V like Victor O-Y. Yes, ma'am. Okay, great. All right, so um, any any tips? Again, know you've been um, started out a couple, three years ago, and any tips you'd like to pass on um, to new investigators? To new investigators, I would just say, you know, read as much as you can, learn as much as you can, you know, and really take the time to get to know each client and evaluate why they're hiring you. And if it's something that's questionable, take the time to pause and reflect on it before just accepting the case and accepting the dollar because long-term, it'll be a bigger and better result for you. And probably you're going to have a gut check and pay attention to it. Absolutely. Follow your gut. It usually doesn't steer you wrong. Yep, I think you're right. I mean... Because, you know, anytime you cross that line, you'll say to yourself, oh, I should have listened to my gut. <laughs> yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much, Stephanie. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, those of you that are interested, if there's anybody out there that would be interested in advertising on this show, you can contact my fabulous uh, executive director, Sandra Rogers, at voiceamerica.com. And for... Again, uh, tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators and real investigators like Stephanie Savoy. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 